And welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we dig in deep to analyze the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. I'm Andy Nelson from TheNextReel.com. And I'm Pete Wright, also from The Next Reel. We are, of course, looking at Jon Favreau's 2008 film, Iron Man. And joining us this week, we have Joe and Andrew Dorowski. Hey, guys. Hello. Thank you for having us. I am Joe, just so your listeners can start to associate the voice with the name. <laughs> right. And I am Andrew. We are, uh, we've crossed the 100 minute mark. We are looking at Iron Man Minute 101. On today's show, the minute starts with a gift from a dumb friend. And it ends with Rhodey on the hunt for his old oh, friend. Rhodey. Rhodey's like, you know, he's like the golden retriever returning home. <laughs> After a run across the Grand Mountainscape. So if, if Rhodey's the golden retriever, who is Dummy? Is Dummy the Rin Tin Tin? It's <laughs> the Lassie. He's, uh, no. the, yeah, wait, where's the Lassie, Lassie in this case? <laughs> right. We've got, is this, are we setting up a weird competition between rescue dogs? Like, okay, wait, I feel like somehow we I have. think Lassie wins that competition, I, right? I mean. Yeah, Lassie, I, Lassie's <laughs> the ultimate rescue dog. And Lassie was big on like bringing the tool that you need, right? Like your, your foot stuck in in a rope and Lassie brings you a knife. So I think dummy that's a good point. Dummy is the Lassie in this case. Or maybe the St. Oh, Bernard yeah. with the rum. Oh, that's that's a rescue <laughs> dog I had forgotten about. There there are a lot, aren't right? There? I'm just saying dogs are incredibly useful. How have we not had a movie about a St. Bernard rescue dog? Right? That seems the only like movies are, fruit. are the Beethoven movies, and that's right. not a snowbound rescue. <laughs> that is the opposite of a helpful dog. No. Yes. Uh, somebody true. needs to get on that. <laughs> and if we can tie it into the MCU, all the better. <laughs> I'm sure there will be one in Endgame. This is we're recording this before Endgame is open. <laughs> oh my goodness, that's right. Nobody knows. Oh. Mm-hmm. All right. Rain it in. What are we doing? Okay, so let's so just to play catch up real quick, uh, just so everyone remembers where we are, Tony knows that Obadiah has uh tried to have him killed. And that he's and that Obadiah is now going to kill Pepper because Tony got her involved, and that Obadiah has built his own version of the suit. Pepper knows that Obadiah tried to have Tony killed because she saw the video, and that he's building a secret suit because she saw the blueprints. And also, she knows that Tony's not answering her calls. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, we have also a, she's with Agent Colson, so he and his men theoretically are in the same camp as Pepper. Now, Pepper last saw Tony working in his lab. He sent her on this mission. So theoretically, she doesn't know that Obadiah might have taken out his his RT device out of his chest. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's Rhodey. He was driving, and Pepper called him and said, Obadiah tried to have Tony killed, and Tony's not answering my calls, so go check on him. So that's where everybody is. Do we know what Rhodey was doing? Like, where was he? Was he going on a date? Was he heading somewhere? <laughs> He is certainly wearing date clothes. <laughs> he was he was in his truck when uh, when we saw him talking to Pepper. That's all we know. But I would love to know. I mean, he's awfully close too. It seems like in this movie, for the most part, Rhodey is waiting for Tony to get his attention <laughs> in some way. Like almost every scene, whatever Rhodey's doing, he's just waiting for Tony to be there. Yeah. Hey, I'm training some Air Force pilots. But Tony's here, so I'm going to ditch them. Hey, I'm 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 in a combat scenario. I'm I'm, but I need to talk to Tony. That was how they pitched Terrence Howard on this movie. They say, "Hey, Terrence, you're just going to be waiting around a lot for RDJ. Is that cool? Yeah, totally cool." 
There's nobody I want to watch more. That's right. Do you, did you track how many times, uh, how many lines of dialogue Rody has in this minute? <laughs> in this minute? In this particular one? In, in this minute, he, he says the word Tony three times. <laughs> he does, right? <laughs> and But wait for it, because next minute, we may hear the word Tony a few more times. <laughs> it reminds me, uh, in back in, in my high school days, in, in a drama class, I was uh, rehearsing a Shakespeare scene and uh, the phrase words, 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 it's in Hamlet. He just says words, words, words. And the teacher's like, you have to say words differently for each one. And I was wondering if Favreau was like, (laughs) no, (laughs) I need a different Tony. Tony. (laughs) That was the same Tony. (laughs) That's like that. What was that? um, It was a monologue that uh, uh, Pete, that our buddy used to do. And it was like, you were talking, you were trying to get somebody's attention. And you just kept, the, the monologue was virtually all you were saying is, hey, you, look at me, yeah. look at me. <laughs> look at me. But you kept me, saying it in different ways. It's the, is it from Three Amigos? The look up here, look yeah. up here. No, no. <laughs> look at her, look at her. <laughs> hey, you guys. <laughs> oh, that would be a good one. Oh, no, but yeah, it's, it's, but it's exactly that sort of thing. Whereas, like, how many ways can you say Tony? Tony, Tony. 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 Minute, it's three ways. Tony. Okay. <laughs> We've got right. three. So I, I I have a question based on like your you're setting the stage, which I, I very much appreciate, you know, coming in at a hundred minutes into the movie. Is it weird that they put so much stress on Pepper being in danger? Like, isn't it danger enough that a mad genius has access to unlimited power? And like, and, and wants to, and wants to like propagate war on an unprecedented scale. Like, isn't that, isn't that cause enough for Iron Man to step up or do we need to have a damsel in distress? We're getting into that territory. This is, this is the territory where they were obviously doing rewrites, trying to figure out how we're going to end this thing because Obadiah Stane wasn't the bad guy and now he is. And so what are we going to do? And uh, yeah, a lot of these little things that are happening here may fall into that category where it's like, do, do we need to have this? Maybe not, but but here it is. I mean, I will say in defense of Pepper, she's not like, uh, you know, the captive damsel in distress. She puts herself in trouble because she is doing something heroic, right? Right. That That is fair. She is there with the, the S.H.I.E.L.D. agents leading them into danger to stop Obadiah Stane. And she knows the shortcuts, as we've established in prior minutes. She is able and she's a fantastic navigator and driver. She is capable. But it does seem like they're stressing that, like, he is going to hurt Pepper. As if, no, I, and believe me, I totally get, I totally, I'm, I'm backing your point. Like, they, why do we need to insert this sort of gravitas of um, hero saves damsel when really she's doing fine? Everybody can just yeah. be on team we don't like Obadiah. <laughs> and let's just even the playing field a little bit. I, you're absolutely right. And it, it feels... It feels like an appendix. It just feels like something yeah. that's that's un, unwarranted, unearned. Yeah, and they 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 like because they gave Obadiah like some kind of creepy lines about that to give yeah. Tony that push. That was what a couple minutes ago, maybe last week, um, when when he's doing his his discussion and and tearing out Tony's heart, and then he has to make this weird comment about like you know it's a shame about Pepper. It's like we don't need that. Yeah. I think 
I think the fate of the world and war on an unprecedented scale is sufficient. But I, I think this is getting into um, like the the famous quote attributed to Stalin. I can't remember if it actually was where he said, um, you know, a single death is a tragedy. A million deaths is a statistic. It's giving both. Right. We're going to give you both the personal stakes and the abstract threat of destruction, which um in later Marvel films, I, I know sometimes some people may not have seen all of them, but sometimes they lead a little hard into the abstract uh, fate of the whole universe. And it's you start to feel disconnected from the stakes of that, hmm. actually, versus mm-hmm. um, a very personal, you know, one on one situation. Well, that's that's a good point. And honestly, I mean, it's it, it, it is interesting because Pepper really ended up putting herself into this situation. And I know this was kind of you already had said this, but. Uh, she came here trying to be heroic, trying to stop him. She's leading the agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. here to kind of take down Obadiah. At this point, yes, Obadiah has threatened Pepper to to Tony, but, I, I, I mean, all he's been doing is like, you know, he's kind of checking out his equipment. That's it. Like, he doesn't, he doesn't know that, uh, you know, people might be heading his direction, as, as we've learned from Pepper and these agents. So theoretically, uh, you know, it's you know what I guess the the what I'm getting to is what would he be doing like if she wasn't <laughs> right. there, if if that wasn't happening, is he going to get into the suit and rampage like start searching L.A. for her? Yeah, is he just going to tear around the city like King Kong, destroying things? That's I, I'm very curious. What would have happened? Where would that have gone? Yeah, I, I see that disconnect there, what, 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 what you're pointing out. So, yeah, he made that threat to Tony that was very specific. But it's not like he went and, you know, or even told his goons, go get Pepper. He's just like, no, I'm going to go go plug in the battery. With no one else around, we're not going to run any tests. I'm just going to plug it in. I'll hop in. And, like, yeah, what? It's it's always fun to, like, play out in movies. Like, okay, take the villain. And, like, what if the hero didn't show up right then? And, like, in this case, it's like, what is Obadiah going to do if, if you know, Tony doesn't show up and Pepper and the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. don't show up? Like, is he just going to run some tests? And then the agents show up. He's like, well, I guess I'll murder people. <laughs> <laughs> right. This is where this is where some of the logic flaws start showing in uh, in with the way that they changed everything around to uh, avoid the Mandarin. Uh, or the Crimson Dynamo as the bad guys and save Stain for the second film and decide, you know what, let's just run with this Jeff Bridges guy. He's pretty good. Which, admittedly, when you watch it in the theater, you don't really notice those things. Like, they've got good pacing on all of this, and the tension is, like, moving at an appropriate pace. You know, we've got, what, three different uh, locations in this one minute. Right, yeah. So they're moving you along, and you're you're just on for the ride, unless you're doing it minute by minute. Yeah, this is a unique to the to the format. Yeah. <laughs> well, before we get there, though, we should talk a little bit. Of, we've got this great scene with with Tony and Dummy, mm-hmm. which is, I think, I don't know. I think it's a great payoff for everything that they've been building, and it's it's a little sentimental, but it works really well because we've been playing with this these idiot robots for so long with blasting him with the extinguisher and just all these things, and and here we finally get this. It's it's pretty sweet little thing where he kind of dummy saw apparently that Tony couldn't reach this this uh, box and and lowers it for him, and then this is where we get that really very 
uh, anthropomorphic view of it, like it's a little face, just kind of looking at him and making these little coos and whistles at mm-hmm. him. I Can I ask a question? And I don't know if you, maybe you did discuss this last week. What's that? What is the nature of Tony's ailment in this situation? Because the magnet, like this is this is kind of a big picture question for Iron Man, the movie, and in the cinematic universe. But like his heart still exists. That magnet is just keeping the shrapnel out. But now the magnet's not there. So why is he looking all pale and stuff? Like, shouldn't he just be kind of stressed, but like otherwise functional? He also just came out of his paralysis. Okay. So that's that's part of it. Obadiah had used that the paralysis little, you know, right. trigger thing. That's fair. I was not counting on that. He looks bad here, but he doesn't look quite as bad as he did when he was paralyzed. With the veins popping on the forehead. <laughs> right, veins. Now the blood, the blood in his ears has magically disappeared, but but other than that, he's mm-hmm. he's looking a little, I mean, a little ragged, but uh I, you know, I, I, and this is something that we struggle with because, you know, at the, as soon as this thing gets popped out, he does react all of a sudden like, oh my God, my heart. Well, last time when Pepper mm-hmm. unplugged his RT device and was and swapping it, he goes into cardiac arrest. And it's, it's very illogical. Like, why would that happen? Yeah. Do these shrapnel pieces that are stuck in him all of a sudden just like charge at his heart? I mean, it's, <laughs> there's no logic there. And there, there's like, like, that's a sizable tube that Pepper reaches her hand into where, oh, like, yeah. oh, yeah, there should be organs. I, I, right. I, I, I bet you guys talked about that. Or, I don't know, sternum or spine, <laughs> ribs. Yeah. Like, he should have a sternum. Like, you can't do CPR to this man anymore. No. Right. Yeah. And you get it. Like, even when he when he throws this box down on the ground, like he kind of rolls to the side and, and you can see like they they obviously like did some CG work kind of filling in that hole. So you can actually kind of see down that tube a little bit. And it's like that thing is probably a good six inches, maybe not six inches, but four inches at least deep down into his body. I mean, that's like that's a sizable, sizable amount of, of material they removed from him. Yeah. Where typically your heart would be. <laughs> It's Yinsen, the wonder surgeon. <laughs> typically. Typically, yes. <laughs> typically. Yeah, right. for, for most people, that's right. about <laughs> human persuasion. But like, yeah, like, does he only have three chambers now or something? Like, what's going on? <laughs> I mean, it, it, you, it's one of those things, kind of like Andrew said, like, if you're just watching the movie in the theater, you maybe don't question it. But like, you almost start to think of this chess piece as like a battery that is powering his heart or literally as a heart. And, but then that's not yeah. how it's functioning when we get actual technical descriptions. But then that's often how he reacts when anyone is messing with it. Yeah, it's like, yeah, if if this is gone, then I will shut down. Not if this is gone, the shrapnel will travel the rest of the way into my heart and shred me. And eventually, over the course of minutes, hours, possibly days, I will die. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's it's always much more immediate. Yes. Right. Yeah. Seconds. It's always in the yeah, it's always in the seconds and, to minutes and category. I, I guess in the second movie, they kind of deal with that a little bit more where they can argue that like the the poisoning is having right. a, a physical effect on his energy levels and and things like that but in this one they don't really have that yeah no it it, it largely ends up just being something you have to buy into or you're never going to make it through this and in the world of of marvel comic book movies i i think that's what largely makes it work is that buying into that fantasy of it because if you Mm -hmm. if you can't buy into it if you're looking at it as a realistic 
you know, piece of, of thing that's re- stuck into his body, then there's just no way it's ever going to work. Yeah. Um, speaking of this moment with Tony and this, this replacement, uh, battery that's being handed to him, I, I remember kind of reacting to this in the theater, but certainly in some rewatches, I was like, he goes from very frail and almost lifeless to very aggressive in breaking this box. Like he's ne- gotta smash it. He's not letting <laughs> gravity do the work. He really leans into that rollover and that smash on the ground. Yeah. Where did that little adrenaline boost come from? Well, and, and that's funny because I was looking it up because according to the script, it's actually identified as lucite, which is basically like an acrylic. Wouldn't it bounce? Yeah, acrylics, <laughs> uh, acrylic boxes like that are fairly tough and they don't shatter. Right, exactly. You can't really break it. So, uh, yeah. Like, I, I, like you, you know. might be able to crack it and then you've got to kind of pry it open and right. maybe with right. a screwdriver. There's really no way that it would have shattered like this. Because, I mean, it looks like they use candy glass and it looks like he's really shattering it because he's like covering his face and stuff's going everywhere. Yeah, I, I, I think it all... Um, I don't know. I, I, I actually really like the all of a sudden the energy that he has to smash it, but it does seem like where did that energy come from? Is it I mean, maybe it's just his last bit of energy before he kind of collapses. Well, and then we cut away, right? We cut away uh, over to what is going on elsewhere in another secret lab. And we are to presume at this point that he Tony is able to put the device in his chest with all of his new this new fount of energy that he has found this reserve but his hands are too big aren't they maybe how is he able to snap this in right that is the or, big or question. does dummy do it and i and i feel like that that may be the central cliffhanger to this minute i know we have other stuff to talk about but where we find tony in the next minute uh is also uh, it's a place of concern for me. <laughs> I, you know, I think this is what Joseph would call or Joe would call a King Kong cut. Uh, yes. uh, famously, uh, in the in the original King Kong film, they, they gas King Kong on Skull Island after everyone has been killed, except for, you know, the few lone surviving right. humans. Yeah. And then the next cut is King Kong strapped onto the boat. Um, and chained up. <laughs> and there's like there's like five humans that could have helped move him. So, someone asked, how did King Kong get there? And the director said, "If as long as the, he's there in the next edit, no one cares. And so now, with the impossible thing being done off camera and just having happened because it's what had to happen for this, you know, for the story to progress, it often gets referred to as a King Kong cut. And yeah, so Tony's hands reaching in or uh, it be a dummy helping somehow, whatever happens is is kind of a King Kong cut there. Yeah, right. I'm going to complain about it anyway. I would have loved to see Tony trying and and see because, I mean, Pepper gives him a shock. We have that little great operation gag. Uh, I would love to see him doing it and you know, really trying with his big clumsy hands and you know mm-hmm. giving himself shocks the whole time. And then and then and then Rhodey. Rody comes down and it's like, Rody, you famously have small hands. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I knew there was a reason I liked you. What do you guys think about the um, the fact that or, or how the film positioned this life saving device that it's there? Um, you know, like, like, OK, the villain has has wounded him, but the. Uh, you know, the Chekhov's gun solution, I guess. It's not the gun, but it's the, the Chekhov's <laughs> medic uh, <Right. laughs> medicine pack is, uh, was presented much earlier in the film. Do you feel like that all worked? I do. I, I actually like it. I think that it was, a, it was a nice way to kind of allow for it to be there. It didn't necessarily feel like it was a, you know, a Chekhov's gun, just the way that it was kind of this this uh, kind of the sentimental mm-hmm. thing coming from Pepper. It just, it, I don't know. I, I thought they set it up really nicely. 
Yeah, I, I did, too. I feel like that's why if, to me, this isn't a Chekhov's gun, right? Because it's it's something that was earned in their in the yes. emotional resonance yeah. of their relationship. Yeah, it, it deserved a place on his table, regardless of whether it was going to no, be I agree used later. That, Absolutely. Um, I, I think you're right. The, uh, yeah, I like it because the scene when he gets it. Like, it serves its whole purpose there. Like, that, if it had never been referenced again, yeah, right. the audience was satisfied. It didn't feel like this was a setup. Sometimes when you feel like, oh, that's just a, totally. a setup, it's because it, you, you feel like this is just um, a hook for a future moment. And Pepper giving him that right. with that label, it all felt earned right then and there. Exactly. And the, the same goes for, for Dummy being there to hand it to him. is like they've done all that they needed to with Dummy. To you know, with with the comedic effect and the the fire extinguisher and everything like that, so if he hadn't shown up and there was some other resolution, it's fine. But having it here, it's like, oh, this this is great too. Yeah, and you know what I really like about Dummy here is that every time we're working with Dummy and Tony elsewhere in the film, Dummy is being chastised or castigated somehow by doing something stupid or preparing to do something stupid. And this is one of those sequences that allows us as the audience to learn, oh, that's why Tony keeps him around, because sometimes he does smart things. Yeah, right. You know, I felt sort of rewarded by that, that Dummy actually serves a purpose beyond, like, shining the car in the background of the scene, which was funny, but, you know. Right, but we actually get him. And that's, I think, the smartest way and uh, the most effective way a screenwriter and director and really just the filmmaking team can do their setups where you don't realize it's being set up, like you pointed out earlier. Um, you guys pointed right. out. And I think that that's these are all really cleanly done and it makes them really effective when we have the moments here in this minute. Meanwhile, back in the basement of the secret lair. Oh, the uh, other basement. We cut, this is yeah, the other bay, the other secret lair. It's a it's a hard cut. We don't get a Star Wars wipe and it goes straight to the shoulder of this new Fantastic Beast. Oh, this is our first time seeing Ironmonger. Uh, I mean, other than the, the deleted scene that we had uh, last week, I mean, this is, we're again really kind of looking at the back of it, but still, you're getting this look at this menacing monster that uh, Obadiah, conveniently, now all dressed in black, is <laughs> looking at. <laughs> well, he's wearing his work yeah, clothes. It, it's like a black jumpsuit or something that he's decided to wear with black boots, and he's just full-on bad guy now. It, he's really it's like a flight suit right it's like his black like machinist technician flight suit he's got his big boots on he's still wearing that ring though i like that you called the ironmonger armor like this beast because it it definitely has a very different aesthetic than the um much sleeker iron man armor and the way it gets employed is much more yeah um i guess raw feeling than the you know the, the finished iron man that we have well it feels very much i mean not to leap onto your king kong uh comparisons again but re really i mean it feels like a giant gorilla you know it feels like a brooding it's kind of slunched over or slouched over and and uh uh it it flails uh, i assume <laughs> it will flail I, i'm not allowed to watch ahead I assume flailing will happen, but we'll see. Well, and it feels very much like Mark One, which I, I really like. I like that it's it, he basically took this Mark One from Raza and his men, and uh, just kind of amped it up, just kind of boosted it with like you know uh, steroids almost, and and made this this hulking beast in there. It's it's really great. I uh, I think that it's cool seeing like these real parts, like these hydraulics on the shoulders and the way that it's designed. I mean, it is this real thing. They actually built this, 
this giant thing that was like, I think they said it was like 800 pounds. And it uh, took like five guys to operate this thing um, when they were, when they had it in the shots. Um, it's, I mean, it's really cool. I did not know uh, how much of that was physically built. That's, that's impressive. Yeah, it's quite a, uh, a feat that they put together for this thing. Now, I mean, granted, <laughs> we're going to, well, I, I won't jump ahead to later in our week, but we'll get some of it that's clearly the digital version yeah. of it. <laughs> but that that commitment to uh, to building it puts me in mind of Jurassic Park, but I should probably save those thoughts for a future minute this week. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> oh, we'll get there. We will. But, I, but what I think is so funny about this particular moment is not only do we have Obadiah now in his like full on bad guy black jumpsuit and he's he's kind of working with his uh, like Frankenstein monster in the basement. But it's also a dark basement. We've got dripping water sounds in the background. There's like water. There's chains everywhere. <laughs> I mean, it's like there's a like a witch's cauldron bubbling in the background practically. I mean, it's, it's just like. <laughs> So much like straight out of like all the cliches of, of a horror movie. It's it's so funny that they went to such extremes. But I think it's uh, also I give them credit for making it work weirdly. You know, <laughs> I think that it all kind of comes together nicely in a in a fun way. I this is one, though, like as soon as we cut to the basement, this is one where I I remember I I, I have a problem with it. Right. Because it feels like Everywhere else that we have seen Obadiah, he's he's polished. He's so polished. We were in his house and there's an Ibex rug on his floor <laughs> like he is a polished dude. And so this is the one where we, we cut to this basement. We have the witch's cauldron and the the chains and it feels like the Freddy Krueger basement. And all of a sudden I'm I'm a little bit out of it. It no longer feels like like they've they've switched from who was uh, uh, to be a smart and like, uh, you know, an intelligent foe, a rich antagonist to um, a dumb nemesis. And I that it's where I, I start to kind of tune out when when he just really switches to being a brute. Yeah, he switches to being a brute. It is it's an inelegance that I feel like comes out of nowhere for this character. I, I see what you're saying. I mean, I think they establish it with like when he has the yelling match, the great like Tony Stark built this in a cave with a bucket of scrap. Like, like he, this is not the product he <laughs> yeah. wants. He knows he's not there yet uh, with this. Right. Uh, right. And, and uh, but he's he's being rushed into it. And maybe, uh, you know, going back to the earlier comment from uh, I think it was Andrew, if uh, S.H.I.E.L.D. and Pepper don't come running in, he just powers this up. He's like, okay, well, now I've got to fix this up, get slap some paint on this, uh, <laughs> polish the edges. Right. So. And then and then he's also waiting for Tony Stark to presumably die. Yeah, yeah, right. Right. Presumably. Right. Well, and that, that was kind of the weird thing earlier because he, he leaves Tony for dead. Like, he thinks Tony's going to die. Um, and then, yeah, and he's off to, I guess, kill Pepper, but he's being very casual about everything. It's all, it, I don't know, I, his, whatever is in his head, he's taking a strange turn where all of a sudden I feel like the Obadiah that we knew is no longer the Obadiah that we knew. This is kind of just kind of a, a crazy Obadiah that he's already <laughs> uh, kind of become here. Without any real, like, instigation, like there was no moment that said Obadiah is now or rushed crazy beyond, you know, he just or rushed right there's no and andy i think you did a good job of giving us the whole tim curry clue moment right or set up right where here's where everybody is and obadiah in that sequence that you opened with 
has no rational justification to be rushed on anything. He doesn't know enough stuff to be to to have to have that switch. So I think that was that was a great setup, and this is the payoff. Like, there's no point to why he's doing. What I do he's doing. want to say. No, I wasn't mad when we started this, but I'm kind of mad. <laughs> I want to say one, one interesting thing about this Obadiah moment, which is the bulk of this minute. I think it's something like 40 seconds is just him plugging in uh, the battery. And I, I, I just uh, scrubbing through. There's only three cuts in those 40 seconds. Like it really lingers and lets uh, the the scene breathe in a way that flies in the face of a lot of modern editing. Um I, I think it was over on Star Wars Minute. I heard them mention that in one minute of uh, The Force Awakens that they were looking at, there were 29 cuts in that one minute. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and uh, wow. and that was a conversation scene, not an action scene. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's just cutting, you know, t- between like nine yeah. characters. Right. And, but yes, but this, right. uh, this is a lot of screen time, uh, you know, of, of him stepping up to this behemoth and uh, working, you know, plugging into the much more cavernous gap that he has to work with in the chest cavity of Ironmonger instead of in Tony Stark. And right. then, uh, yes. uh, you know, once more gazing up at it. Um, and, and so the, the pace is, um, it's almost... Um, surprising how how uh, deliberate everything is in this in this minute yeah it's very patient favreau really took his time and, and allowed for that which i think is great especially with a guy like jeff bridges and i think that's why i end up maybe that's why i end up not having so many problems with this despite all of these obvious issues that we're pointing out here because you have this patient moment of obadiah just like piecing this together and figuring it out. And then at the end, after the the Ironmonger suit powers up, he just looks up at its face. And if you just watch his face, there's like this just like very subtle change in his face as he's just kind of looking at it. And you can kind of see this like this this evil joy almost kind of growing inside of him. I mean, it's this it's this amazing moment that uh, I mean, Favreau is really allowing us to have. So I end up buying into this. And, I, and that's something that I always find so interesting about this movie because there are all these obvious problems with this whole end of it, but I still end up really liking it. Well, I think you're I'm right on. Like each one of these shots, these three setups are just luscious and Bridge's face is lit so perfectly. And then they cut to that uh, reverse shot where you see how luxuriously both of Bridge's hands <laughs> fit inside the cavernous uh, hole. And it, it is really, it, it is, is gorgeous and and uh, it it and patient and um and I I totally get all of that and I I love I love buying into it I still go back to thinking man Jeff Bridges he took like all the notes from the tent in Afghanistan and just decided to recreate Afghanistan in this basement it's <laughs> like it looks like the basement like uh, you know the a field engineering setup to me and I just I just wish more for him. He needs a better lair. <laughs> yeah, this isn't. Well, I mean, it it doesn't feel like his lair. It feels like a mad scientist lair, and he has not been presented as the mad scientist up right. to this point. This feels like right. the 1940 Superman serial mad scientist. Uh, <laughs> you know, right. yeah, and and Jeff has really been, or or Stain has really been portrayed almost exclusively as a businessman. And and uh, like a corrupt businessman right. as a villain in this movie, like they don't touch on his personal 
like engineering prowess. No, they don't. Right. We don't know that he, well, granted, his people built this thing. All he's doing is plugging it in. So maybe it was a really obvious, like, you know, plug A goes into port B. Yeah. Sort of thing. <laughs> it was written on a post-it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, he's yelling at someone else to to be as smart as Tony Stark. See, we say that's really obvious, but we have all messed up a USB plug-in and had to like pull a giant monitor down <laughs> like, to wait, really it, get in there and it's look. It's upside down? No, it's the other way around. No, I, I did it wrong four times. I swear it goes this way. Maybe that's what Tony's doing while Obadiah is like just very, because he can see everything because it's glowing too. He sees everything so clearly. He just pops his right in. And meanwhile, Tony's like, no, oh, turned it the wrong. <laughs> He's like, this was, uh, it's the old version. I'm looking upside down. <laughs> Curse these big hands. Yeah, we go from this back to uh, Tony's living room as, as Rhodey runs in. I, I, I don't know. Do you guys have anything else with the basement? No. With with uh, with um, Obadiah's we'll, basement, we'll be back yeah. there. Yeah. We're, we'll be back oh, to yeah. Obadiah's basement, back. and I feel like we already touched on Rody. I don't know if we have anything else to say about this brief brief shot of Rody <laughs> we get. It's a ridiculous living room. Oh yes, like there's a waterfall. There's the piano. There's this. It's just ridiculous and so big. <laughs> I just feel like the light coming through the waterfall would be very distracting to try and relax in that room. Now I do want to point out in this shot though, it looks. I, I mean. I don't know if it's just the way that it's lit, but it looks like um, like uh, kind of that coral glow coming through all the windows. It doesn't look like it's nighttime. All the shots we've seen of of Rhodey when he takes the call from Pepper, right. he's driving at night. And it could be just the way that the interior of Tony's house is lit, but it looks like this shot was shot during the day. I always thought it, I always took it as just kind of a weird lighting scheme in the architecture you'd almost have to assuming everything else is night this is like the one thing that stands out is like all of a sudden we're not night anymore yeah it looks like sunset yeah. from that it, the, that huge window that's yeah. right behind us <laughs> it feels like maybe the blinds are closed but it's uh it's golden hour right exactly anyway well let's uh we can talk more about roadie tomorrow um unless you guys have something else but i think uh i think we're good right i'm good well, well, you guys, uh, do you want to tell everybody where they can find you out there on the interwebs? Yeah, uh, I host the Protagonist podcast in which we talk about a great character and a great story every week. And you can find it on most of your podcatching apps, whatever you're using. If you just look for the Protagonist podcast, you'd be able to find that. We have uh, a healthy back catalog at this point. We've done, we've dropped over 200 episodes and so uh, I wouldn't necessarily recommend going back to the very beginning. We didn't quite know what we were doing as podcasters, but you could cherry pick the characters you want to hear an hour long discussion about. Uh, and like I said, with a catalog of 200 episodes, there's quite a bit there. Nice. That's fantastic. What a great idea for a show. I love it. Uh, I, I work on that with Joseph. And in addition to that, I have uh, a Movies by Minutes podcast of my own that I do with my wife. We cover Disney movies, animated uh, features, one man at a time. We finished all of Snow White. And then we got like halfway through recording Little Mermaid. And then we had a baby. <laughs> All those things. <laughs> and it, it 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 was more disruptive to our podcasting than we expected. God, babies. Mostly because it was it was both of us and we can't both podcast and take care of the baby. <laughs> if it if only one of us had been podcasters, it would have yeah. been different. That makes it tricky. So <sighs> So we're going to we're going to get that so finished good. but yeah we've we've had like 50 minutes of an 80 minute movie recorded we just need to get those other 30 <laughs> minutes done 
<laughs> but it's been like a year. <laughs> well, where do people find it? Uh, Disney Animation Minute Essentials is the podcast to search for. And both of those, the Protagonist Podcast there and Disney go. Animation Minute Essentials, are hosted on DuelingGenre.com. Uh, Dueling Genre is a, a podcast yes, network that you can are. go uh, check out. I believe you had Scott Corelli on as a guest. and That's um, right. He uh, He's the, yeah. the owner of Dueling Genre and hosts those up, uh, those shows for us. Well, it's fantastic. That should be easy for people to find that. It's that bookmark, people. You've had it bookmarked <laughs> all along. All right, everybody. Well, that is it for today's show. Thanks so much for tuning in. Make sure you subscribe to the show for free at marvelmovieminute.com. Join us over on our Discord chat room and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at The Next Reel. And if you like what we do and you want to support us and get some cool stuff, become a patron over at thenextreel.com slash Patreon. Until next time, true believers. Bye.